Hello and welcome. My name is Arsenal, and today I'm honored to announce that BCG will be sitting down with none other than Colin Moriarty for a short interview. In the forthcoming segment, we will be asking him about his career, gaming, some politics, and more. Colin Moriarty is one of gaming's loudest voices. He started out at IGN, moving all the way up to senior editor in his 12-year stint there. Colin then left IGN to create Kinda Funny Games with Greg Miller, an organization that's still around and kicking today. After leaving Kinda Funny Games, Colin created Colin's Last Stand, a gaming organization that he is the founder of and is still in production today. Other side projects Colin participated in were Podcast Beyond and P.S. I Love You. Colin is also known for writing many of the gaming guides you can find all over the internet today. I will be co-hosting the interview with longtime BCG subscriber and friend of the channel, Corey. You can find links to Corey, Colin Moriarty, and my own Twitter in the description down below. You will also find links to the BCG Discord, channel, and more, and the Collins Last Stand Patreon and channel. We'd love to have you around. With all that said, on with the show. Today it is my pleasure to be virtually sitting down with none other than Colin Moriarty. Colin, thank you for taking the time to answer all of our questions today. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, thank you for having me. All right, over the next half hour or so, me and my co-host Corey here. Hello. We'll be asking you a series of questions over a variety of topics from uh, your career to video games and a little bit of politics mixed in, but we'll mainly be focused on video games. Uh, with that okay. said, let's just get into it. So my first question is, you started out writing guides from home. Now, when you were writing these guides, was this like a passion project that you just did for fun to help people? Or were you like writing it with having a career in gaming overall in the long run? No, I, I don't know that I really did it with any any goal in mind. When I started writing for like even fan sites in the late '90s, there were we, we still read video game magazines primarily, and there were video game websites, but we didn't really know who the people were that were really writing there. This was around the time that you would start hearing about names like Per Schneider and stuff like that. But right. I just liked, you know, I was young when I first started writing for fan sites. I was in like middle school, and I got I got on the internet in like 1995, I think, or something like that, and then you know, started finding and gravitating towards gaming websites and, and things of that nature. Some of them still exist today. Yeah, game, you said strange. game facts all the time. Yeah, but even smaller ga- uh, sites that I used to read, like RPG Gamer and stuff, like, it's amazing. Like, that site's over 20 years old, for sure, because I used to read that thing, you know, in, like, the 97, 98. So it's just cool that some of these sites still exist, but I, I have a very obsessive personality in terms of... It's the same reason why I love chasing platinum trophies, and I like 100% in games... And all of that, I liked just kind of encompassing, encompassing all of the knowledge about a game into a document that could be shared with other people. And it would have been nice to have turned it into a career. But I, I, it's funny because, as usual, uh, you know, you, things happen where you don't expect that you're going to get this opportunity that just kind of falls into your lap. And that's the way it happened. Because, as I've said many times, like at GameFAQs, I, I consider myself a very talented writer there and a prolific writer there. But there were many of us. And oh, yeah. it, it could have it could have been any person chosen there. So I always say that, you know, talent plays a portion of it. I always get mad or not mad, but upset when people always act like I haven't talked openly about how much luck played, you know, in just being in the right place at the right time to kick the door open. And so, uh, you know, I didn't expect it, but it was obviously what is it now? 16 years later or something, a pretty nice thing that happened to me. <clears throat> Because I remember a guy who would write like these huge, massive guys for the Tales games, for the Final Fantasy games. Um, I'm struggling to remember his name, but like I would just print those guides out, man, and it'd just be like bricks of paper. They could have been someone like Astro Blue or uh, yeah, yeah. There was a there was a few. That kind of rings a bell. 
Yeah, there's a few like pretty. Uh, President Evil was one of the guys that wrote like a lot of really. I I always loved that name. I always thought that name was cl- like a classic. I didn't have like a screen name, you know. I yeah. always I was like C Moriarty, and I always kind of regret that because I look back and people have some of these really great names, and that was at a time when like you didn't have to put 17 digits and an underscore after something. Like you could just get like you know you know lunar ray night and that would actually be available or something without you know and so but i I wasn't clever enough to think of that at the time so unfortunately i didn't have like one of those memorable names one of those memorable writer names i kind of tweeted at this like about a week ago um how i like how you start your podcast with like an off-topic story or something um and i'm not sure if that's part of your philosophy for podcasts or whatever but um if you can kind of take me through your thought process behind that and yeah, if you have sure. any other philosophies behind some of the things you do in your podcast. Sure. I've always just been really trying to be really, uh, I don't know. It's funny because we're having this conversation. It's a timely time to have this particular conversation because we, you know, it's E3 prediction season. And I've been kind of, you know, half joking on the podcast that it's just something everyone does now. And I'm kind of tired of it. And I imagine that listeners are just, Maybe I'm wrong, but I, w- I would feel like if I listened to three or four gaming podcasts and they all did the same shit over and over and over <laughs> again, and you can expect, like, you know, every podcast is going to do E3 predictions. Like, when we started doing E3 predictions on Podcast Beyond, that was, like, a novel thing. Right. That wasn't something people were doing. And people can go look. I mean, just go go Google around. It's not something that was, like, happening all over the place. Now it's constant. Which is and crazy when you think about it. Honestly. It is crazy. It is crazy. And it goes, it's just, like, because it's so obvious, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. But we would... We would uh, have fun with it, but now that like everyone does it, I just feel like I would rather contribute something different to the ecosystem because my assumption is that while some people listen to Sacred Symbols and only Sacred Symbols when it comes to gaming podcasts, that most people probably listen to multiple gaming podcasts. So don't you want to tune into Sacred Symbols and get something different? And so that kind of ties back into my philosophy behind keeping the show really loose. I write mm-hmm. the show every week. The, the planning document for the show is usually like between seven and nine pages long. Um, Damn. And, and, you know, I write it all on Sunday. I share it with Chris. He, he kind of gives his input. And, you know, I'm, but I'm literally only using it as a rundown. And I literally only read verbatim the news items. So right. what, we, what we do in the beginning, and I should share this with the audience at some point, is there's a part of the beginning of the document where we just write random shit that might be <laughs> funny to bring up or random, like, one-off things that peeps someone wrote in that, make, you know, makes fun of us or makes us laugh or a correction. I always like to put corrections up top to it um, from the last episode. And just to create some continuity. And so I just feel like I don't, it's funny because I don't listen to the, the podcast. I don't listen, uh, I listen to for the most part, I don't listen to to really get to know them personally. And I'd mm-hmm. probably be annoyed if I listened to some podcasts that were like mine, but I feel like, <laughs> but I feel like our podcast fills a certain niche. And as I've said many times, and I authentically mean it, I don't watch or listen to gaming content at all. Not at all. Like I don't, I just don't. And I'm just not that interested in, in listening to what other people have to say about it. I'd rather read and then contribute something that I feel like is unique. And, and so I always thought that that was what made Beyond and PS I Love You and now this show popular is because yeah. it's just, it, it is just different. You know, it's just, it's just different and it's silly. It's explicit. It's not afraid to make fun of people. It's not afraid to make fun of issues. It's not afraid to take controversial stances. And so I just think it, it, it I just feel like it's, a superior product and we do it only because I feel like it's a superior product. If I felt like I was doing something that was just another podcast you throw out there, then I wouldn't even bother, you know? 
So I hope that I hope that people enjoy the philosophy. Do you not listen to other gaming podcasts to like also stay fresh, you know, not to wear yourself out? Or is it just a lack of interest type of thing? It's kind of a lack of interest. And I know that, that that's probably surprising to other people, but I've always been that way. Like I used to love, you know, um, papering through magazines and, you know, I, I subscribed to like a million gaming magazines in my life. And uh, so you had that angle. And, and I just grew up at a time when you read and then you really had to put effort into like making a cogent argument that you can then put out into the wild. Now putting arguments into the wild is really easy. So you can't just like, you can't just listen to other people's arguments and then regurgitate their arguments. You kind of have to go back to the source and kind of formulate your own opinion. So it has the unintended consequence of keeping me fresh as it were, but uh, I've never been drawn to gaming content in that regard. Like once gaming went podcast and once gaming went video, I was happy to exist in that ecosystem creating content. And I think I'm talented and, and I'm good at doing that. So I think it's a good niche for me. Uh, but I'd rather spend my spare time watching or listening to like political podcasts, which I listen to a lot of. I listen to a lot of sports podcasts. I listen to a lot of conversational podcasts like Rogan and Sam Harris and stuff like that. So the time is pretty limited. And if I had like maybe another 10 hours, maybe I'd ask the audience like, well, what's a gaming podcast I should check out? But I, I don't have that time. So it's we are it is what it is where we're in the situation um as a result of all of those different competing elements if that makes sense my next question is on social your social media your podcast and just you in general wherever you've put yourself out there you're never really uh shy to make a joke or have your like true opinion be heard like when i hear colin say something and i think i speak for a lot of people we know it's coming from colin it's not coming from like ign or somebody else now, my question is, as a businessman and a content creator that's, you know, trying to make a profit and keep your following strong and growing, have you ever, like, had an internal debate where you'll sacrifice the, that uh, free will, so to speak, in order to keep a neat and polished image online? And how much does being misrepresented and the worry of cancel culture coming for you cross your mind, at, if at all? It's, it's a great question. Um, so, oh, you're welcome. So. I feel like I think about it all the time, you know, not, not cancel culture coming for me because I, I, I don't want to speak like too out of turn or be too bold, but I kind of feel like I'm somewhat immune to them. Like, I feel like you can actually say that for a lot of people, like, as long as you don't listen, as long as you really didn't do or say anything like egregious, then you either stand your ground or you will apologize for nothing. And I don't look at anything that I've ever said Sometimes I've said things inartfully or I wish I could like reword something because I could understand how someone misinterpreted or misconstrued it. And that's on me. Like you got to kind of take like your lumps that way and take responsibility. I'm responsible for my own words, right? My own actions, even if they come out wrong. That's also my responsibility. Uh, but I feel like my audience relies on me to be honest and candid. I, I feel like that's why they come to me. And has it alienated people? Sure, but I don't really care. Like, because yeah, I feel I like the whole Collins Last Stand thing, like it was built from the cancel culture, really, in its, in its kind of embryonic stages. Oh, for because sure. people certainly came for you to to cancel Colin. You know, like yeah, they sure people they certainly, certainly came did. for you. Yeah. They, oh, they did. I mean, they've come for me many times. They they come for right. they come for me all the time in some respect. I just I think what frustrates them is that I just what do you want me to do about you being mad about at me? Like, what am I supposed to do about that? I just don't understand, you know, like what, how, where my responsibility begins there. You know, if I say something like, 
a good example is with this uh, this Vox demonetizing thing where I tweeted at the dude. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but the whole thing with this Carlos yeah. Maza guy. And I tweeted yeah. him something really reasonable. I wanted to get into this, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, okay, so I'll, I'll let you know, we can, we can iterate yeah. it on, on it more in a moment. But, yeah. you know, when I tweeted at him, I tweeted, I was literally just saying, like, why don't you just make, con like, basically, why don't you just make content and let your content speak for you? Because it, it really is kind of starting to sound like, you know, a little whiny. And oh, I yeah. understand that. Like, I have been harassed and targeted for harassment, and people, people say awful things to me all the time. But my argument was not to insult the man or tell him that he's wrong. In fact, I actually sympathize with him. I, my personal take on the whole thing is that I think Crowder went over the line. I, I certainly didn't mind the jokes as much as the repetition of them over and over again. I felt, I felt like it just made it not funny. It felt mean. Yeah. But I don't yeah, know that I, I don't know that mean spiritedness should necessarily be banned as long as you're not like stalking someone. You know, if every video Steven Crowder did was about this dude, you know, if like yeah. all he did was and he like literally doxed this dude early, literally told his fans to go after them, that's different. But I, I feel like sometimes it's not, I guess, a huge surprise to see a far left sect online refuse to understand that people have to take responsibility for their own actions and their own words. And, and that's all I can do is take responsibility for me. So if someone wants to get mad at something that I said, and I look at what I said, and I'm like, this seems perfectly reasonable to me, then too bad. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not going to like s sit here and apologize for me being me and for me saying perfectly reasonable stuff. And frankly, I think some of the things that I say sound unreasonable to some people because they're in such a thick echo chamber that they never knew that other, you know, Everything that, that runs counter to anything that they've ever heard seems like an attack. But that's just small-mindedness and ignorance. And I also can't cure that, you know? So I don't know if you ever go on Reddit or anything like that. Like, the, on Reddit's uh, RPS4 subreddit, every time you post an episode of Sacred Symbols, someone makes a thread like, hey, guys, <laughs> the new Sacred Symbols is out. And every week I go to the comments section, and there's always one or two people that are just like, fuck Colin Moriarty, he's a, he's a sexist or blah, blah, blah. And then there's like an army of five people responding to that person saying, no, you're misrepresenting him, blah, blah, blah. Like, you, you should check it out. The next episode that comes out, it's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll look into it. It's like, if people want to be upset, it's first of all, like, I'm not necessarily that upset that I have real estate in tons of people's minds. I know that sounds like really reductive, but okay. No bad publicity. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, like, if you want to give me a little piece of your mind, that's cool. You know, I, I guess like that's I, I feel like your real estate is probably pretty limited. You might want to think about other things and other people, but that's cool. Like, I really don't dwell on any of this shit to any degree that it comes at me. So I feel like that imbalance is almost embarrassing for the people that go at me. But, you know, like you said, there's always a bunch of people that are there to correct the record. And I think that that's the most important thing. The, here's the big thing that I, I like to nail down with people every once in a while is. Colin's Last Stand is really successful in spite of the fact that many people have tried to repeatedly and continuously destroy me and my brand and my integrity and my character for two years. Right. You know? So, when, like, the fact that the, the Patreon's doing it as well as it does, the fact that Sacred Symbols has 50,000 listeners, can you imagine how big it would be if I got a fair shake? Can you imagine how, how, how big it would be if, like, I just had a like a fair clean slate from which to work that represented what i've actually said what i've actually done my actual feelings my actual accomplishments you know so that's like something that's a real point of pride for me i've done this in in the face of hurricane level five resistance right and 
and I can't do anything about people that want to continue to tear me down. They can, they can do whatever they want. I mean, that's, that's their, you know, as long as they're not threatening me, I've only really had a problem with one person, a person who I felt like was stalking me and harassing me. And that made me and my family feel unsafe. And that was a person that I was happy to, to make a case that this is inappropriate and uncalled for. Otherwise, I guess you have to do what you have to do. Right. Right. As PS I Love You ended, um, and it kind of left the void, and you kind of started to want to have another PlayStation podcast, you know, um, like, how did you choose Chris? Uh, so I had met Chris, actually, at Dave Rubin's house randomly uh, one oh, day really? when I was there. Yeah, I went over there. I don't know what we were doing, but I went over there, and Chris was there, I think, doing some contract work for them or something. And so we just shook hands and quickly talked and met, and then we exchanged information, and he came on Fireside Chats. I think he was like probably one of the first 20 guests on the show, maybe even like yeah, one of the yeah. first 15. And I thought he was a really smart and interesting dude. He's, you know, this, this really funny, fast talking Puerto Rican kid from New York. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I really related to him yeah. in a lot of ways. He makes me feel like some, he, he feels like someone I knew as a, not, not a specific person, but he feels like someone I would have known. And so I feel like that, created a great rapport for us instantly. And we just corresponded every once in a while over text and we would see each other every once in a while. And, and then I wanted to do a gaming podcast and he just seemed like the perfect person because he, he started talking so much about games. And I realized that he had this pent up energy and no avenue with which to explore that energy because he's so well known for political commentary, comedy, those kind of, kind of a more agnostic comedy and stuff like that. And I know that he had knowledge and insight and i also felt like it would make the show way different than my other stuff that i've done in the past because he plays really different stuff than i do and he has like yeah. really different opinions on games and comes from a different perspective and is not a playstation fan really which is one of the really things that i was attracted to about it he likes playstation but he's not like in it like i am so it balances the whole show out and... because you've kind of exposed him to a lot of things i feel like oh definitely he's learning on the fly He's teaching me some stuff on the fly, too. What I'm really happy about is that some people really felt like the first few episodes or the first 10 episodes or so were like, we were finding our footing, and, and obviously the show has gotten stronger, but I'm so pleased yeah, that feel, people stuck with it. I feel the same it way. We're, yeah, it happens, right? And people stuck right. with it. Oh, yeah, for And sure. now we're getting the exact opposite feedback, that like this show is unimaginable without Chris, that Chris yeah. is... It feels like so a, natural. Yeah. I'm, I'm after, glad to hear that. After, after, after Greg left, you know, I was like... As such, a, as such a dynamic duo, you know, it's like in such a short time, it's just, it's just so natural now. And I, I'm amazed yeah, by it, that, honestly. I know. I appreciate that. You know, I, I think a lot of that was he was really nervous. I think a lot of it is that I get to drive and I have a lot of experience. So he gets to just follow my lead. And I yeah. never tell him. He's more him, of a passenger never, to start out with, I feel like. <laughs> right. And, and I feel like he, he need, like, I told him to just work his way in wherever he could. A good example of this is when I when we started doing the show, I was the only one that read the PSN games that were coming out, assuming he didn't want to. And I don't know if people recall that. I, he actually told me on the show that he wanted to, and we, he started doing it himself. Kind of an example of like how the show just evolves on at the moment. We don't sit down and talk about it before we get together other than the planning document. He comes over. We exchange some laughs and some pleasantries. You know, Lola wants to see him for a little while, and then we record, and we see what comes of it. And very little of what we record doesn't make it into the show. And in fact, I haven't edited the last, I don't know, 15 episodes or 10 episodes of the show, and I have no idea what's going to be in it or not, you know? So it's, it's fun to just have a place to be zany, not take ourselves too seriously. And I, I really do think that there's a great power in 
combining in equal measures often informative and authoritative opinions and zany, sometimes explicit, stupid shit. You know, like why not? Why can't it be both? And and so I think that I think our show attracts a hard so it's a double-edged sword. I think our show attracts a hardcore following that listens to every episode because they like that. I think our show is inaccessible to some people because of it as well. You know? If I if I started listening to Sacred Symbols this week, I'd be like, what in the fuck are these guys talking about? <laughs> my hope is that my hope is that they get through and like figure it out. And if they don't, uh, I guess it's a show that's out for them, but Dollars to Donuts, I think that, the, and I know that people would expect me to say this and they probably wouldn't believe me because of the history of shows I've done, but I think this is the best show I've ever done. Like, I think that this is better than Podcast Beyond at its best. I think this is better than PS I Love You at its best because I think that it's the show that those show, I wish those shows kind of were, but I, I, I have like more control over it now. And so I'm glad people are digging it, man. It's, it's really heartening. You know, it really is. So very quickly, and I don't know if you can answer this, but let's say Chris had said no to you. Could you share maybe two other names of co-hosts you had? If he had said no? Uh, I will say, hmm. How do I put this? <laughs> so, so, all right. So when, I don't know that, I might have told the story on somewhere. I don't know. When SideQuest began, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to answer your question. I'm getting there. Yeah. But when I started SideQuest, which is my YouTube channel, in the fall or whatever of 2017, it started because I had I was about to do a podcast with someone who people would know who this person was that agreed to do the podcast with me and then pulled out and said that they no longer wanted to do it. But I still wanted to do something gaming related, so I launched SideQuest. And I decided to kind of sit on it and be like, well, it's better not to it's better not to rush something and just find someone. Just do another show, get this out of your system, see what happens, and then when the time comes what that you want to do a podcast and the situation is right and you find the right person, then you can do that. That's, it's really important, you know? And so that's kind of where it came from is that sacred symbols was something that I had thought about. And I went to Chris and I actually went to Chris with two ideas. I told him that we can either do a PlayStation show or we can do a general gaming podcast. I thought he would choose the general gaming podcast. He didn't want to do that. And so that's kind of, that's, that's how it spawned. I think we, uh, it was about this time last year that we decided to do it. So, um, yeah, so uh, as far as like, uh, as, yeah, as far as other, we just actually sent out our, our mailers to our high-end patrons for um, the 50th episode, like we got this art done for it. Um, but yeah, so whether, I guess the answer to the question, therefore, is that I don't know. Because if Chris said no, then I probably would have put it back on the back burner again. Yeah, so, so it wasn't like I, a list type thing. It was just like, it was Chris, and then if he said no, we were just going to go from there. That, that's right, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly, like... If, yeah, I because I, I just I just felt like I was formulating a show with him in mind, you know, and so I would have had to just think there probably would be a different podcast, you know, Sacred Symbols might exist in a different form, but the important thing is that even though I I literally own the trademark, it's my company's trademark, and I came up with the show, and I'm uh, you know, I really want it to be considered our show, you know, and so my assumption is that it would have just gotten something totally different with a totally different flavor. Maybe it would have been worse. Maybe it would have been better. I have a hard time imagining it would have been better. I, I, like the show, the show is blowing my mind in terms of just the audience it's attracting, like this fervent audience it's attracting. And so I'm so glad that I never had to approach who would have been next. And I'm, so, I'm also so glad that the person that canceled on me canceled on me. That was a serendipitous uh, moment. That was a really tough moment for me in the moment, but it was, that was serendipitous as shit, you know? Like, that's why you got to trust the process sometimes, man. 
Yeah, because he just fits so well, because he's kind of curmudgeonly, too, and you guys oh, yeah, kind of vibe back and forth. The humor is the best part. <laughs> you know, like, the, he, he... It's so I, fucking I funny. In, <laughs> I, joke in, I joke in a very specific way. I, I love being sardonic and dark. I think it's funny as shit. Like, the fake... The fake nihilism is like my favorite. I love it. Like the, you the, guys the like idea hate, that like hate everything, just hate life. Like I want an asteroid to hit the Earth. And it's honest. Like all it's it's well, that's the part where it's like it's insane. Of course, I don't want that to happen, you know. But like that that's funny as shit to me. Like I just think that that like being so dry and so again, it's just sardonic and it's silly. It's just totally silly, and you either get it or you don't, you know. And so I'm I'm glad that people do, but. I'm glad I found Chris because I like joking around like that. Some people don't get it. Some people don't think it's funny. Um, but I like that kind of like a dude that literally says darker shit than I do all the time is exactly what I need, you know, in my life. Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly who Chris is. So <laughs> absolutely. All right. So, so my next question is: Oftentimes, you've spoken on the lack of a. And you can correct my phrasing if it's wrong, but the lack of like a conservative voice when it comes to writing about games, making games, developing games, um, covering games. Now, what do you think the solution is to fix this problem, if there even is one? And do you think gaming overall suffers greatly because of this, or do you think it's just a small, you know, hit along the scale? No, I think it's important because, you know, I, first of all, I want to say that I should, I should say that I'm not necessarily sure this is a problem in publishing or development per se. Publishers are definitely conservative entities. Anyone who thinks otherwise is insane. You know, like they don't, these companies don't care about anything but your money. That's it. Uh, But, and and that's fine. I mean, that's totally fine. That's, that's kind of, there are publicly traded companies. I, I own stock in publicly traded companies. I want those companies to care about profit. So I don't hold that against them. But I don't think that there's like a liberal versus conservative problem at publishers. And I think developers, while there's some liberal games and some liberal devs and vocal devs, there are a lot of conservative people making games. I know them. I I don't usually name names because they don't want to be named. Um, But it's a little bit more balanced in that environment as well. But I think coverage suffers, specifically old games media coverage suffers. And I think their numbers are more precipitously falling than, than they naturally otherwise would have. Because I do think that they don't speak to their audience in a respectful way or in a balanced way. And so the audience either goes somewhere else because they need more balance or they want a different opinion or they stay around and seem to have a really adversarial relationship with the websites in which they read. Now, I was a senior editor at the biggest gaming website in the world, and we didn't have a relationship like, with our audience like this. So this is a new phenomenon. Like when you read someone just getting and I don't agree with people getting harassed and, and dogpiled on Twitter or anything like that. I don't participate in those things. And that shit happens to me. So I'm not saying anyone should do that. Of course not. Uh, but when you see that kind of stuff, I'm like, wow, what kind of palpable anger has been building, building up in these audiences? Because they would, never want to talk to Greg and I like this, you know, or yeah. really anyone that worked at IGN. Like, it, we just didn't have this, like, really frayed relationship where we were kind of scolding and finger wagging our audience and telling them they were wrong. And I, I just find that imbalance weird. And I, I really find especially funny the entire notion of there when I tweet out every once in a while, like where are the conservative voices? And a lot of people are very offended by that. And I'm like, well, well, the fact that you're offended by that is weird because conservative people play games and conservative people are interested in reading editorials and opinion pieces and, and listening to podcasts from those perspectives and listening to debate and conversation from those perspectives. And why won't you deliver it? What are you so scared of indeed that you won't, 
let another column Moriarty write at a major website. I was IGN's most trafficked writer, you know? And so if I, when I left IGN, I guess I'm, I'm honored in a way that they didn't try to replace me. But the first thing I would have done was been like, can we find a guy who fills this niche? Can we find a guy who can fill the Greg niche? Can we find it, you know, et cetera, and so on. And instead it's just become this really one tone predictable dude. You can just predict what they're going to say and write. Right. Like, yeah. I, like game X comes out, you know, when I played days gone before it came out and I saw that wedding scene, I knew it. I knew people were going to complain about it. I knew it. I knew. It. I, I said. I said. I think I said it aloud. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be an issue. <laughs> yeah. And so, isn't that sad? Don't you want to like open up a website and not know what you're going to get? It's kind of the same philosophy with sacred symbols we were just talking about. Like, so I find it a bummer, not because I think the liberal perspective or even the socialist or communist perspective, whatever, that's all valid and it's interesting. I, I, I'm happy to read that stuff. I'm happy to interface with it. And, and those people have open invitations on all my shows. They'll never take it, of course. You know? But they're, they're happy to be on the show. They're, they're, uh, or I'm willing, rather, to have them on the show. But I just want to hear some other arguments. And frankly, their loss is my game. And their loss is a bunch of other people's game. So they can continue to keep their head in the sand. That's fine. You know, like The fact that they're so uncompetitive with YouTube and the podcast scene and the Patreon scene is great. Yeah. So, so what do you think the solution is for like a conservative or as you mentioned, like a socialist or communist writer to get into games? Because I feel like you're heavily, and this is just my view as a consumer, you know, I have no insider information, but I feel like you're heavily incentivized to be a liberal writer to get into a lot of these big companies. So just as someone that's been on the inside, how do you think someone that is a conservative or uh, not the main opinion writer would get into this? Unless you had someone like me that was the editor-in-chief of a place like IGN, you're not going to get anyone like me. You're not going to get anyone. And, and so it's a dead end, is I guess my, my harsh answer. You know, Who's going to hire you with these websites? Who, who is going to find out? That's, I didn't vote for Donald Trump, but I'm not, I wouldn't be ashamed if I did. But yeah. who – if I went I, – I used to interview a bunch of people at IGN. We used to sit at these big conference tables and interview people. And interesting conversations and questions would come up. I would love to be in that room now in 2019. I left IGN in 2014. I'd love to be in that room now and have someone in there and they say they voted for Donald Trump. I'd love to see that, you know, what, like, because I want to see how everyone reacts. And I would love that to come out after this amazing candidate proved his or her medal in every other way. And then I'd like to see how these, these names and these, these big minds work their way, not, not at IGN necessarily, but all these other websites how they would work their way around such a conundrum and why you wouldn't want to expose your audience to an interesting dynamic and different voice serve your audience. But I'll say it again, like the market is a competitive thing. Uh, weak entities will die, right? Like strong entities will live. That's just the way it is. And if they want to continue down this road, we all know that their numbers and their influence and their ability to reach audiences is truncating. They can either turn the ship or they don't turn the ship. That's up to them. But I think that like we found a way to on Patreon and on YouTube and podcasting to find micro audiences that aren't relying on ad revenue, that want to be t treated like adults, that want to be treated like they matter, like they have a voice, like they they aren't the only person that feels the way that they do, that they're not being othered and called a Nazi or called whatever the case might be, and so I'm I'm happy to provide that service. And by the way, I have plenty 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 of socialist and left-wing and liberal and progressive members of my community you know 
So this is so also this entire idea that we're a monoculture and CLS is insane because that just doesn't bear out at all. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> it just doesn't. It just doesn't. I have these. I just have these conversations usually behind the scenes, but I have conversations with people all the time. You know, so I'm, I, I love it. I, I and I, I brought in people that don't necessarily agree with me, and or and Chris is a liberal. You know, he's a he's a card carrying yeah. liberal. He's not a conservative at all. And uh, I just hired a transgender writer because I, I thought maybe she also would have an interesting perspective. And she's a really great writer first. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, did, she, did she write the recent SideQuest episode that came out today, I think? Yep, she did. Yeah, it was very good. Um, Thank was, you. Yeah, yeah, uh, she's doing a great job. Real quick, Colin, uh, I just want to let you yeah. know we're at half an hour. Do you have time for a few more questions or no? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's do like two more, if that's all right. All right, go ahead, Corey. So we've gotten a little political. I'm not sure how closely you follow it lately. There's like, there's like 99, you know, you got your Bernie Sanders, you got your Bill de Blasio's. How much of a chance Trump have being reelected, would you say? Uh, I think it's a coin toss right now. And uh, I actually, Aaron and I went out to eat yesterday and we were walking and I, I said to her, I was like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Donald Trump won, you know, like... I, I think the Democrats are making a fatal mistake in, in just they're being doing the self- same thing again. Yeah, it's actually it's actually worse. You know? <laughs> but which which is crazy. Like, and that was the big point. I'm like, it's actually like by numbers, like more than fifty percent worse than it was, which is incredible. Like, you would think that at this point, if you really wanted to win, it, because I listened to the Five Thirty Eight podcast, which I think is a really insightful podcast, and I really appreciate that Nate Silver over there, who's another guy I really respect, because he just says whatever the fuck he wants, and I really respect that. Um, he was basically just like, this is a way for mediocre white dudes, for the most part. And you know me, I'm not one of these guys that relies on calling people white or black or whatever, or male right. or female, it's not really important. But to, his, to Nate's point, he was saying it's a way for mostly mediocre white guys to just get their book deals. That's it. You know? But it's, yeah. a, it's, a major, it's, a, it's totally selfish because uh, the clock is ticking. And if you want to beat Trump, you need to start unifying and get behind someone reasonable quick. And... Um, you know, I just don't see any, there are literally like four people running that have any prayer. So what is the point of even running at all? I think it's a, it's an exercise in futility and it's, it's a totally selfish thing. And if they don't winnow out and like start to really get rid of that, that field soon as the summer wears on, they're in a lot of trouble. If they move in, if they go into Iowa and New Hampshire with fucking 20 people, they're, they're insane. You know, like, because create chaos from the point of view of like, first of all, someone will win the caucus with like 22% of the vote. And it could be someone like really ridiculous, by the way, you know? Yeah. And, and then they go to New Hampshire and someone ridiculous wins there. I mean, Trump won because he kept winning 35% of the vote, 40% of the vote, every state. And so you just have to learn from experience that, uh, this is kind of a futile effort. The other thing that's interesting too, is that, you know, Joe Biden is polling really well. He's polling a plurality in that field, which is crazy. I mean, that means he has 50 plus one of the, of the, of the voting block with all those people running. So that also proves that like, there's no anti Biden field that is bigger than the Biden field that has already coalesced around him. So that says to me that Biden will clearly win. And so everyone should just get out of the way and let him start gathering strength, raising money, uh, maybe go away for a little while. So he doesn't stick his foot in his mouth and stuff like that. He's unique in the sense that he just, he wins in a way, in a dynamic way that ruptures Trump's support in really vital places. Biden wins Pennsylvania. Biden wins Virginia. Biden wins Ohio. You know, Biden wins Michigan. Without those states, like Trump doesn't win. So like if you run someone like Bernie Sanders, 
Bernie Sanders would win New York. He would win California. He would win, you know, all the, Bernie Sanders is not going to win Florida. He's not going to win North Carolina. He's not going to win Ohio. He's not going to win Wisconsin, you know, or Iowa or Arizona or Nebraska. So, like, what's the point? Like, so it's just weird. You know, it's it's just it's very selfish. You know. Okay, so then I guess the final question will be, so we spoke a little bit about this a little earlier, but you've essentially recreated yourself about, I've lost count, four or five, six times now, uh, from either, you know, getting tired of what you were doing and starting something new or making something bigger from what you used to be doing or, you know, just uh, things coming to a head and everybody going their separate ways. So out of all these rebirths, which one would you say was the most difficult one for you? And do you have any advice for anybody that's going through something similar to you, be it in this field or any other field? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I, I feel like I have so, I have so much anxiety in my life. Like I'm so stressed out all the time. I, I do a really good job of hiding it unless you're really close to me. Um, but the one thing that helps decrease my stress in a tangible way is to just keep moving. Like to never stay sedentary or like be relaxed or comfortable. And after leaving kind of funny, it would have made a lot of sense and maybe even been more healthy for me to be like, all right, let's like, you know, I'm financially just fine. I got bought out by the old company. I've always been fiscally responsible. I don't need to immediately get a job or anywhere close to it. Let's take some time, maybe write a book, relax, go on vacation. But that's not who I am because it doesn't allow me to manage the things that stress me out the most. And so my advice to people is to just, if you get knocked down, and I certainly got knocked down, you know, I'm not going to act like I was like, you know, the undisputed champion and, and, and just, you know, roundhouse kicked someone and, you know, won the match in 30 seconds. That's not the way it is. I, I got bounced around. It, was, it, it hurt. I, I lost a lot of friends. It was very incredible. The most painful thing that ever happened to me. You know, I don't know that like I would ever really get over it in a way, you know, yeah. you kind of just learn to live with it and move on. And so that's my thing is that people just got to get up and keep moving. And it's not, a, I never intended to reinvent myself as much as I just wanted to be true to myself. And I think that was what allowed me to just try different things and retain a massive audience is because they know me. And the, isn't it funny how it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about like the authenticity and, and the personal touch that my shows have that a lot of shit doesn't is because if I was just doing like, vanilla thing x and vanilla thing y and vanilla thing z then like what would really connect them to each other but like all my content makes sense with each other because i'm speaking to the same people with my voice in all of those shows and so i hope that if people find themselves in like precarious situations and and, and really traumatic situations and painful sad dire you know whatever the case might be you got to get up and you have to you have to keep moving like the ultimately you can't control anyone else. You can't, con there's just certain things you can't control, but the one thing you can always control is yourself. And so that's like my major piece of advice. And I hope that it's helpful. Yeah. One thing I really appreciate with your work, you, you mentioned it with IGN and days gone a little earlier. Like you could almost predict what they're going to write. Like when things happen in the, happen in the gaming sphere, I'm always looking forward to Tuesday because I have no idea what you and Chris are going to say. Like, I'm always wondering, I'm wondering, what does Colin think about this? Whereas IGN or any, any other news set, I'm really signaling out IGN, but uh, any other news set, I can almost like write the article for them on what they're going to say. So it's I'm really interesting. Yeah, I feel like to me, it's, you know, I, I should be fair too. First of all, I have a, I guess a pro IGN bias because I was there for so long. 
um, from 2002 to 2014, I was with them continuously. And uh, so I love them. And, and, and I, so I don't say this from a perspective of bias. I actually think that they're probably the site that's doing the best job in this new ecosystem. You know, uh, at least they have some interesting voices, right? Like they have Damon, they have Lucy. These aren't people that I necessarily would agree with, but they're interesting and they have their own minds and their own opinions. And the website seems to serve a function. I think the websites like Waypoint and Kotaku and Polygon and all those are the ones that are like really falling off a cliff. Yeah. And I, I, it's funny because I was saying earlier about how like, well, they're, they're, everyone's loss is our gain and on Patreon or on YouTube or whatever, but it's true. Polygon to Kotaku's loss is IGN's gain. You know, like IGN is still as agnostic as it can be. And I think that that's still a smart way to go. Um, and to like, you know, put op-ed and, and, and opinions in thoughtful podcasts and stuff like Ryan McCaffrey's doing with his, uh, with his podcast series, which is excellent, his interview series. So there's some cool stuff going on over there. But, you know, I hope that people are, become more and more attracted to independent content and a la carte content. And I think that they are. And so I think that we're in great shape. And so, um, you know, I wish the, the competition the best, but I think that the writing is clearly on the wall. It's definitely not a waning community, the Patreon and the um, service community. I, I think it's only growing from here, and that's just a win for you and people like you. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, but, but you have to earn it. You know, my, my, I've always said this too. My time is as finite as anyone else's. Like, my, my time can be up at any moment. You know, I always look at my life as like maybe like a professional athlete or something. I don't know that people are going to want to hear from 50-year-old Colin Moriarty about PlayStation. And that's okay. You know, like, you know, like maybe, maybe they would. Maybe, yeah, six, seven, eight, whatever it is. <laughs> to me, I like, you know, so I, I try to just like earn it every day. And I want to just know that if like I start to decline or people become not interested in my shows anymore or whatever, as happens to everyone eventually, that it, I couldn't have done anything to change that. You know, as long as I know that, I'm cool. And in the meantime, like, I'll just continue to, to try to earn people's respect, uh, their support, their, their ears and their eyes, you know, and leave it all in the field. And I, I think that, and, and have lots of value for the customer if they do pay, you know, that's important to me too. All right. With that said, Colin, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was a pleasure, honestly speaking. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. The Cheddarcast is a gaming podcast hosted by Broccoli Cheddar Gaming. Our community is hosted in our Discord. Join it today to become a part of the conversation. Links to the Discord, our Twitch, YouTube, the channel Twitter, and our individual Twitters can be found in the description down below. You can email us with questions, comments, concerns, or business inquiries at broccolicheddargaming at gmail.com. The podcast is currently in search for a sponsor. If you're interested in sponsoring us, please send us an email today. 